0: Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The grass withers and the flower fades, but but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Holy Father, what a privilege it is to come again to your word. I ask that your spirit would use your word to encourage us, to challenge us, and to stir our hearts to love you and to love our neighbors, and that through your word you would unite us together and to your mission. We pray this in the name of Christ, amen. One of uh, the more classic kids tales, and I'm sure all of us in this room have heard before, is the the story of the tortoise and the hare. And of course, you you know, this is a a race, a classic race between a a rabbit and a a turtle. And rabbits, as you know, are really fast. If you've ever tried to catch a rabbit, even in the backyard, they're really hard to catch. They're quick. They're like, you know, and uh, things that won't translate if someone's trying to listen to this online. Uh, they'll, go, they'll go fast, they go back and forth And you can't catch them And, and turtles, well they kind of meander You don't really understand how they go up from point A to point B Because they're so slow And so in this race The rabbit thinks to himself Well gee, this is going to be easy And he underestimates the strategy of the tortoise And so what happens in the story Depending on which version you've read There's a lot of versions But the rabbit races out ahead Leaves the tortoise in the dust and he's so far out ahead, he kind of wanders into the forest and he takes a nap. Meanwhile, the tortoise, slow and steady, is running his race at his own pace, one foot in front of the other. He doesn't get distracted. He just puts one foot in front of the other and keeps going on his race. And so, as a rabbit is lounging in the forest, he doesn't notice the tortoise actually passing him by. And to his dismay, and to the dismay of all the forest creatures in the story, who wins the race? It's the lowly tortoise wins the race. And the rabbit couldn't believe it. How could this happen? How could I lose? I'm so much faster. At the end of the day, he underestimated the tortoise. And just like the rabbit underestimated the tortoise, so we often underestimate the way God's kingdom is actually coming into this world. We underestimate how God's kingdom is growing on this earth. It's slow. You can't see it moving from point A to point B. You can't tell that it's moved at all, and yet it is happening. We underestimate it. We underestimate that it's growing and expanding on earth as it is in heaven. And and because we underestimate this, because we can't see it actually happening in our day-to-day lives, just just like you can't see your child growing from day-to-day, We end up losing hope We can lose hope wondering is this actually going to happen Is God's kingdom actually going to come Is this actually going to work Does the gospel actually do anything And maybe you know to compound this You've seen the loved one maybe walk away from the faith And you wonder "What what went wrong there Why did God stop growing The seeds of his kingdom in this person Or maybe You're just impatient like I am And so when it goes too slowly for us We try to actually do God's work for him We say, well, let me help you out here a little bit, Jesus. You need a little help. And we try to make the seed of the gospel grow where it isn't ready to grow yet. Or on our our terms instead of his terms. Or we lose hope that it's coming at all and we can distract ourselves with other things in this world to numb our pain, to numb our lack of hope. So why do we lose hope? I think at the end of the day, it's because we lack faith. We lack belief that the kingdom is actually growing. We, we, We don't believe it's actually happening. That what the Bible claims to be true is true. We trust with our earthly eyes, and it's because God's kingdom is mysterious to us. I mean, reading books about the kingdom of God is—it's all over the map of, of what it what it is and what people think it is. It's it's a, it's a mystery. It's not natural, because what we find here in the Bible is that it actually is mysterious, and it is supernatural. It's an otherly world kingdom. And the people that are gathered around Jesus here in the Gospel of Mark are not much different than us. They have similar problems, similar expectations, similar doubts, doubting the promises of the Old Testament. Some probably doubted that the Messiah would come at all. It's been so long. Is the Messiah really going to come now? I don't, I don't know if, that, that, if this is really him. And what, what I think Jesus has been doing in these parables is he's showing the people gathered and his disciples what his kingdom is actually like. And one of the hallmarks things that we've learned, as this is kind of the last of the kingdom parables in Mark, is that things aren't always what they seem, right? So in his first, in his final parable about the kingdom of God, God is now showing us the how, right? How God's kingdom actually grows. In the first parable, the parable of the sower, Jesus was showing us what is happening, right? That the kingdom of God is coming into the world and it will bear fruit, and last week, in the analogy about the hidden kingdom, it shows us why he is hiding it. He's hiding it, actually, so it can be found. It seems counterintuitive. And, and now, he shows us how his kingdom grows. And it's just as unexpected and counterintuitive as previous parables have been. And so the question for us this morning is, how does this happen? How does God's kingdom grow on this earth? And I think there's two answers for us in this text as we look at these two different parables on the kingdom this morning. The first answer is this, that God's kingdom grows by his power. God's kingdom grows by his power. And by extension, not our power. Look with me here at verses 26 to 27 again. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows... Not how. I mean, this is what we find here, right? That this, king, this, this kingdom grows by the power of God. Just like a, a farmer can't make his seeds grow, just like Ben can't make his potatoes actually grow as much as he wants to, or probably thinks maybe he does, uh, we can't make God's kingdom grow in this world. In fact, it's actually a mystery. It says here, he knows not how. The farmer knows not how the seed actually grows, it's a mystery. And it's a mystery because he's not the one that actually causes the growth. We see this in verse 28. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The earth. Which is actually the same word for soil that's used in the parable of the sower. This is the thing. The soil is what causes it to grow, to come out of the ground first as a little blade. Then it grows an ear and then grain grows and it matures to the point where it's ready to be harvested. Paul actually echoes this truth in Corinthians. In in, in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 3 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God is the one who actually grows his kingdom. Why is this so important for us? Because we're the ones who actually get easily distracted, aren't we? We get bored, we grow weary, we sleep. Meanwhile, God tells us he never slumbers. He never sleeps. Uh, He never grows tired of his work. He never gets distracted uh, from his will, from his work. And this is important because God is the only one who can actually produce the growth that is needed for his kingdom to come in this world. So our confidence in the kingdom comes from our confidence in God. And so we might wonder at this, well, what are we supposed to do then? Does this mean we don't do anything? Do we just sit around and just wait for it to happen? Uh, Well, actually, not at all. We actually find our work laid out for us here in this first parable. Verse 26, we see that he scatters the seed. Verse 27, we see that he sleeps and wakes up. This is my personal favorite of the jobs. Uh, Verse 29, he comes and harvests. In his act of work, we find him scattering seed, we find him waiting, we find him harvesting. And in the scattering of the seed, what are we scattering? What's being scattered? Well, from the parable of the sower, we know that they're scattering the word of God. The good news of his kingdom, the, that it is coming and that all who repent and believe, this is what Jesus says in chapter 1, in this good news can come and they can partake of this kingdom. Right? Loving our neighbors includes this ordinary things like shoveling their driveways when it snows and other acts of love. But it also includes conversations actually about the gospel. Conversations with people about the good news that Jesus is the king and he invites others to come and join in his kingdom. This is what it looks like to scatter a seed. And in the waiting, what are we doing? We're trusting that something is happening even when we can't see it happening. Waiting is like a Sabbath rest. It says, I don't make the world spin, God makes it spin. And because of this, I can actually rest. And this might actually be some of the hardest work for us to do, actually, is just to to wait, to rest. We're doers, we like to do things. But this is what's behind even Sabbath rest. Because of this, we can go to sleep. Waiting is hard. And this is often where we can get ourselves into trouble, trying to invent some way to make it go faster. But in the waiting is where we actually learn to trust. And the waiting is where we learn what real faith is. Uh, if you've ever planted a seed in the ground, or maybe you've done, you know, grabbed egg cartons for little starters, it's actually a pretty amazing thing to see a seed grow. Because what happens? You put the soil in, you put the seed in the soil, and then you water it, and then you wait. You do exactly what he does. You go to sleep and you wake up the next day. I remember as a kid, we did this in, in kindergarten, we planted some seeds, some, some beans, and every, every morning you come to class, you go and you run. The first thing you go, you run and you look at the, the starters. You see if anything come out of the ground yet. And nope. Day after day, nothing happened. And then finally, one day, you go up there and what do you see? You see this little blade, this little green blade sticking up. It, it seemed slow and unimpressive, but finally it happened. For me, it seemed like overnight it went from nothing to a thing. But actually the entire time the seed was doing something. The entire time, the seed was actually growing, but I just couldn't see it until it was through the ground. My waiting, it had to continue still, even though as it sprouted, until it harvested. Because even when it just springs up out of the ground, it's not ready for harvest yet. It had to grow and actually produce beans, and then it was ready to be harvested. And this is what we find in the harvest part of our work, what happens, but our waiting is actually rewarded. Right? If you harvest before the full grain of the ear is formed, your bread's going to be bitter. But you wait to the end, trusting that it will happen. And then you rejoice in God's work that he has brought this to bear. And these become beautiful glimpses of when our, our faith becomes sight, when we get to be a part of a harvest. And the beautiful thing about this work that God is actually inviting us into is that it, cannot, it can't fail. This work cannot, and will not fail. Because what are we sowing? We're sowing God's word. What do we wait on? The work of God. What are we harvesting? The effectiveness of his work. So even in our participation in his work, we are there to recognize that all of this is his. He invites us in to see this, to participate. As we witness all of this, though, he actually grows our faith. Because he's still growing his kingdom work in each of us. Learning, teaching us to trust, teaching us to be patient, teaching us to believe and to hope, to have faith that his work is happening even when we can't see it. I recently heard about someone who went to school to be a pastor, and this person actually was part of leadership in a church for a while, but then over time he grew skeptical and he actually walked away from the faith. For 10 years, this man wandered, exploring other religions. And because of his wandering, his marriage started falling apart. His family life was in shambles. His relationship with his children was non existent. And one day, he was partaking in, in a cleansing ritual for Buddhism. He was standing in water, being, having water poured over his head, and it just hit him like, What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? I need to go to church. So, after 10 years of wandering, he finds himself in a church. He hears the gospel again. He repents, and now he's part of a church again, and his marriage is going through counseling and is experiencing healing. 10 years he wandered. And in those 10 years, everyone who knew him thought, nothing's happening. God's not at work. This seed of his life is actually dead. It seemed like God wasn't present. It looked like things had stopped growing, but it actually hadn't stopped growing. This is one of those instances where it needed to be hidden in Him before it could actually be revealed. This is how God's kingdom works. This is actually how it bears fruit. It is slow. We hate that it's slow. It is messy. We do not like how messy it is. It makes it look like it's not actually working, it's inefficient. We love efficiency, right? It's unimpressive, but it works. It will not fail. What a joy that God actually invites us in to witness this kind of work. Building our own faith, our own ability to believe in his kingdom, even if we can't see it. Which after you even think about this stuff, it begs the question, why do we still struggle with this? Why do we still doubt that this is actually happening? I think the general answer is that we're forgetful people, which is true, which is one of the reasons why we rehearse the truths of the gospel every week in our liturgy, lest we forget. But I think more deeply, I think the, the tools that God has given us to use to grow the kingdom of God seem unimpressive to us. Right? The, the tools that God gives us, his disciples, that he's given to the church seem plain. They can seem boring. They aren't exciting Right, who wants to listen to someone talk about the Bible every Sunday? Who wants to, I mean, does the bread and wine, I mean, it's just simple things, everyday things. Or Do those really do anything? Prayer, I mean, I get that we're supposed to pray, but it doesn't seem like it actually does anything. I mean, God's going to do what he does, right? And so we wonder, do these ordinary means of grace, the Word, sacraments, and prayer, do they actually do anything? And we can look at these tools that God is using to grow his kingdom, and they can feel outdated, it's like using an ox to till a field. You wonder, why would you do that? They can seem small and significant. And we say, yeah, I get that the kingdom is coming by your power, God. But are you sure the means that you're using are actually going to work? I think we could come up with something better. And in this next parable, what we find, though, is Jesus is again showing us the second surprising way that his kingdom grows. And it's this, that God's kingdom grows from small And ordinary things. That God's kingdom grows from small and ordinary things. And so to strengthen our faith in the way that God grows the kingdom, what does Jesus do? He compares it not to the Roman Empire, the biggest and strongest kingdom of the time. Not to another age, but to the mighty mustard seed. Look with me here, verse 30 through 32. And he said... With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable should we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out its large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The kingdom of God actually begins with something very small. But from that small thing, it come, becomes unexpectedly big. Like mustard seeds are tiny. If I was holding one in my hand right now, you wouldn't know if I was because it's so small. See, it didn't get you. But um, I'm, I'm not holding one in my hand. But they become big. But this is the same, like even trees, like the mighty, like redwood trees starts with a small seed. Jesus is showing the people that his kingdom grows like this. Right. Something small becomes extraordinarily big, a hundredfold. And so he says, do not underestimate the growth of the kingdom of God. Things are not always what they seem. The thing that has humble beginnings ends up transforming the world. And think about the way that God has always actually worked in this world through scripture. He picks an old man, Abraham, and his wife who is barren and says that from your offspring, it'll outnumber the stars. Sarah laughs at this because it's so ridiculous. Then he picks Moses, the outcast Jew who struggles to even speak, to be his mouthpiece and rescue his people. And He picks David, the runt of the litter, to be his king, to be his mighty king, the man after God's own heart. And now even here he picks 12 disciples and the few others who have gathered around him, not from prestigious or important lines, but just simple people. And from them he grows his kingdom. And then later in the New Testament he picks Paul who is persecuting and murdering his people. And he picks him to actually be the great herald of the gospel. This is the upside down kingdom. This is the backwards kingdoms. He uses the weak to shame the strong. He shows his power and might by using the small and the weak to bring about his purposes. God is not like us. If it were up to us, we wouldn't pick the old barren family to start with, we'd pick the young fertile ones. We wouldn't pick the one who has a hard time speaking to lead us, right? Or the small unimpressive man to be the king. We would pick the strong looking ones, the put together ones, the good speaking ones. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I think we love celebrity culture. We think, listen, if my friend just saw this celebrity, they might believe. They're so put together. They have such a great argument. If I just send this video, they're going to believe. We think that if, if our church was just a little bit more modern, more accessible, more techie, maybe it would attract more people. Maybe we would be able to do more work. But this is actually not how God's kingdom actually grows. Out of the thousands gathered around Jesus, he, he, he works with the twelve. It isn't through celebrity, it isn't through viral videos, it's not by wealth, it's not by earthly power. Presidents come and go and are like water on the palm of God's hand. We don't need wealth and power to bring about God's kingdom. As wild as it is, it actually comes in backwater churches that don't have any internet and no social media presence. This is how God's kingdom comes on this earth. It grows with regular preachers like myself, like Pete, like Riker and whoever else who preaches in our church. And this is actually by design. Lest we think it is done with our own power. Lest we try to build our own Tower of Babel and do God's work for him. I think in this, though, there's a profound comfort. We don't have to be everything. It's the classic John the Baptist. I am not the Christ. You don't have to be Jesus. It doesn't rest on your shoulders, But it's just you doing your everyday, ordinary things well. Loving God. Loving your neighbor. Serving your families. Being good stewards of your resources. this is where God uses our everyday, ordinary Christian lives to bring about his kingdom and fruit in this world. And this is actually what we find in the life of Christ. Christ, the humble seed. The long-awaited seed of the woman that was prophesied for in, in Genesis 3 thousands of years it took this seed to grow and when it did grow perhaps it seemed unimpressive to those at least it was to many of the religious leaders and even when Jesus did rose rise to fame here he didn't use his fame to grab earthly power because his goal was much loftier than that because God's kingdom is beyond the thrones of man and so Jesus demonstrates this for his people not by conquering the throne of Rome but by dying and conquering the throne of death. And in this upside-down kingdom, he died that we might live. He was laid to rest that he might rise. He was hidden in order to be revealed, glorious, victorious over death, reigning. And even when he comes to his death, he says, behold your king, the suffering one, the dying one. This is actually what victory is looks like it sometimes looks like defeat doesn't it even in our own lives when we consider God's kingdom working in our own lives sometimes our lives look like we've been defeated but looks can be deceiving looks can be deceiving because this is how Jesus actually grows his kingdom. And he gives us his power. He gives us ordinary means to us that we too can join in his work. So what does it mean for us that the kingdom has humble beginnings? Well, for one, I think it means that we can actually trust in God's plan. We don't have to invent a new one. That's why we're planting churches and we want to plant more churches. It also means that we can be ordinary people. You know, we can be, and we we are, an ordinary church. You know, even the size of our church, I think, is the average size of churches across our country. It's okay. We can be an ordinary church. And God has called us to grow in ways that he's called us to grow, right, in sharing his gospel. And we can do so without the feeling of the need to spice things up. You might say something wrong. You might say something incorrect. But yet, if you just walk with God and his spirit, he will bless your work. His word and his sacrament and his prayer actually work. The old liturgies of the church, which are passed down from age to age, the fact that we're still using them should be all the proof we need. Even think about the people who are receiving the gospel of Mark for the first time here. The people that, that this book was written to and given to first, the, the, the church in the 60s in Rome gathered around this gospel, reading it, huddled in the catacombs under the city, hiding, running for their lives, gathered under the persecution of Nero. And in that place, in the catacombs, in the place of the dead, with fearing for their lives, the gospel came. And as unexpected as it is, the gospel grew. The early church, in, in a great sense, was that mustard seed seed. That grew to where we have churches in in the Northwest and all over the world. They were the mustard seed that God used to grow his church to where it is today. And so there's an invitation for us to come and to hope. There's an invitation for us to taste, to see, to believe. As one pastor friend of mine puts it, the mustard seed is too small to fail. Do you believe this? Do you believe that this is true? And in this is an invitation to join Christ. To sow the seeds of his kingdom. The seeds of his word and enjoy the great harvest that he brings our way. Resting in his promises. Resting in his work. That the work that he begins he will finish. Resting in his kingdom which we pray for every week. And it's actually working that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. May we as a young church never grow weary of the simple means that God has given us. May we never grow tired of the work that he's given our hands. And may we be patient enough to see the great harvest of the kingdom, whether in our lives or in the life thereafter. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful God, I give you praise and thanksgiving that your kingdom... Is growing. That your kingdom is expanding. And even when it's unimpressive. Even when we can't see it. It is working in this world. Help us to believe. Grow our faith. And when we struggle to believe. Encourage us. Strengthen us by the power of your gospel. Working and growing inside of each of us. Becoming a mustard seed inside of our hearts. Expand your light in our lives. And expand your light in this world, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.